Uh, Newton and Grinnell, there's a state park called Rock Creek State Park, if you've never been there. And when I, that's pretty much where I grew up. My grandpa and grandma had a, uh, a cabin just up the hill from the lake there at Rock Creek State Park. And I spent most every summer of my life there um, at that lake and in that cabin. And it was a, it, Rock Creek Lake was, uh, is a man-made lake that was uh, created, I guess you could say, back in the early 50s. But by the early 70s, only 20 years later, that lake had silted in with topsoil erosion. And they knew that they were going to need to do something for it to remain a viable lake. They were going to have to drain it and then reclaim a lot of that um, good Iowa uh, topsoil, right? So uh, they started that process. I don't remember what year it was. I was just a little boy. But they started that process. And while they were doing it, they decided they would do a couple other things as well. For example, they just were, as they were getting the topsoil out from the bottom of the lake, they were also getting all the junk that had fallen in the lake over the last 20 years. There was a couple of, of uh, old fishing boats that had sunk in there. I thought that was kind of cool. There were, as the lake got a little lower, they found barbecued grills and falling off somebody's pontoon, that kind of stuff. But one of the other things that they did, this was the best part, in my opinion, as a little boy. Um, and, I, and I'll confess to you, I was little enough that I don't know that I'm getting all the memories correct. But in my mind, this was the way it worked. They, as, they, as the water level decreased, um, the original riverbed from Rock Creek was exposed. And uh, they decided that they would um, um, do a fish count while the while the lake was drained. So the way they did it was they took a fishing boat and they put it on each side of the, the banks of water that, that they had created. And then they stretched a big net, a drag net, um, between the two fish boats. And then they just sained the, the remaining water for the fish. And of course, when they brought the, the nets up, um, there was a few bass, not a whole lot, but there were a few bass in the lake. There was a lot of catfish and bullheads. And then there was a lot of what you would call junk fish. Have you guys ever heard that term? Junk fish were things like uh, carp and sheephead. Or carp and sheephead the same thing? I don't even know. Uh, there was tons and tons of, of little bluegills. See, there wasn't a lot of predator fish in this little lake. So what had ended up happening, the environment, that they had kind of, the bluegill had just kind of taken over the lake, which I loved as a little boy because you could catch those things with, didn't even need a worm on the hook. Oh, right? That was awesome for me. But it had kind of ruined the environment, I guess. Um, so they used that opportunity. They had pulled those, those nets up and they were able to sort the good fish from the bad fish or the junk fish, right? Now, I hadn't thought about that in decades, literally. That memory had gotten lost back in the gray matter somewhere a long time ago. But this week I remembered that, that memory as I was studying for uh, the parable that we're going to look at today, which I have affectionately dubbed the parable of the dragnet. Uh, it may have been that a long time ago, but nobody knows that word anymore unless you were born in the 60s. Anybody born in the 60s? Some of you were even before that, right? Yeah. So I was remembering that, and um, 
that's why I, I, as I thought about this whole thing, I thought, you know, um, that's what I think this, from, in my mind, that's what this is. This is the parable of the dragnet. Now, for those of you who maybe just started uh, worshiping with us during the um, Lenten season, what I would let you know is that what we have been doing here at Pray Bible, or what we're going to be doing, have been doing, and going to be doing throughout all of 2023 is we are studying the parables of Jesus. Uh, we take a break. Um, throughout the year for uh, book studies, for holidays. Uh, we do periodic uh, praise, prayer and praise services throughout the year. But for about 40 to 45 weeks of the year, closer to 40, we, um, we have, are focusing on the parables of Jesus. And we're coming back that, to that, that journey today. And as I said, the, the parable that we're going to be looking at today is the parable of the net or the dragnet. So, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to Matthew chapter 13, and if, if you look around here, you'll see Bibles on the floors or in the, in the seats. Those are our church Bibles. You, if you want to find it real quick, it's page 974, I believe, Matthew 13, found on 974. And as we like to say, um, if you need a Bible at home, take that Bible home with you, all right? We, we will buy more Bibles if we run out. That's a good thing, to saturate the land with the Word of God, Amen. Amen. Um, let me take just a moment to set up the parable that we're going to be looking at today by refreshing your memories about why Jesus uses parables at all. First of all, let me say this. Here in Matthew chapter 13, there are a total of six parables in this one chapter. I don't know if there's another chapter in the Bible that has six or more. I, I would doubt it. I haven't counted them up, but I would doubt that there's another chapter in the entire Bible that has more parables than this particular chapter does. We've already studied um, some of the parables in this chapter. We have studied, for example, the parable of the wheat and the parable of the mustard seed. You may remember those. Um, something that you'll find here in, in uh, Matthew chapter 13 it, that is a reminder that is good to come back to is that one of the reasons why Jesus spoke in parables is that it was prophesied that the Messiah would. It says right here in Matthew chapter 13, it says that the Messiah would come speaking parables, proclaiming, proclaiming um, truths that have been hidden from the very foundation of the world, the prophet proclaimed, okay? Um, another thing that you'll want to know and remember about parables is that when Jesus shared these stories, he often used um, illustrations that his audience, because he knew his audience, and that's very important for any preacher. You need to know your audience, right? So he would use illustrations that he knew his listeners or his audience would be able to relate to. Uh, for example, he spent most of his career preaching around on the shores of and around the Sea of Galilee, for example. So he, often, many of his parables were fishing parables, as is the case for our parable for today. So, you ready? Matthew chapter 13. Starting at verse 47. The parable of the dragnet. Dragging the net. All right. So, it starts like this. It says that Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like this big net, a dragnet, that is cast into the sea, and when it's pulled up, it is filled with a whole variety of other fish. Now, I'm going to stop right there. By the way, this is a very short parable. That's how you get six parables into one chapter. But I'm going to stop right there because in this first sentence, 
Jesus has already ticked some of his listeners off. The kingdom of heaven is like a big net. That's not the part that that offended people. They got that. The kingdom of heaven is like a big net that is cast into the sea, and then when they pull it up, it is filled with a whole variety of fish. What is he saying? I need to not scream today. It took me all week. My voice is still just a little bit raspy from last week. And there's still little children that have PTSD from last week. So simmer down, Craigie. All right. So where was I at? So this is why this, okay. So here, I remember. Here we go. So they, they hear this. That the kingdom of heaven is like this big net that's cast out and it comes up with a variety of fish. See, the th- one of the other things you need to remember is who Jesus, about Jesus' audience is that most of them at this point were Jews. So when they hear Jesus say the kingdom of heaven is like this big net that is cast out that brings up a whole variety of fish, they're thinking, wait a minute. Is he implying that the kingdom of heaven is for everybody? That would have been blasphemy to a Jew. That would have been like the worst thing in the world you could possibly say. Because they were God's chosen people, right? They were the inheritors of the kingdom of heaven. And if he is suggesting that everybody is going to heaven, I'm out. But of course, Jesus didn't stop there, right? He continues on, and he says in verse 48, he says in verse 48, he says, so when they pull this net up onto the shore, when the laborers, imagine, pulling this net up onto the shore, it says they, they then, up there on the shore, begin to sort the good fish from the bad fish, or junk fish is the case maybe, right? And then he says this. He says, so it will be at the end of the age, when the angels will sort the evil from the righteous. Now that last part um, clears up, if you had any question in your mind, what the purpose of the parable of the dragnet is, that last sentence clears everything up. We know exactly what the purpose of this little parable is, and that it's a parable about the judgment day, right? Right? That is very clear, but what is not clear is what is the the measure or the standard that will be used to determine whether a fish is a good fish or a bad fish. Now, the Jews would have said, I know what the standard is. The standard is if you are a Jew, you are a good fish. If you are not a Jew, you are a bad fish. Therefore, the true inheritors of the kingdom of heaven have received their inheritance, right? But is that what Jesus was saying? You see, there are all kinds of different ways that you could measure whether someone is a good fish or a bad fish, whether someone is righteous or evil. If you are Using the Jewish standard, you know what the standard is. But what if, what if that's not the standard? Because there are, there are other standards. Remember earlier when I was telling you about, about um, 
the junk fish at Rock Creek? Somebody made the decision that a carp was a junk fish. Um, did you know that, that carp aren't junk fish to everybody? Did you know that? There are some in the Asian community, community for example, that fish specifically and only for carp. And it's, it all depends on how you prepare it, I guess. I've never done this, but I've heard this, that they will fish for these big carp, you know, because generally, because nobody's fishing for them, because they're not easy to catch either, but um, you can catch these great big carp, and what they will do is that they will, they will then um, pickle the carp, right? And they do, it, they do that because carp are filled with all these little bones that are annoying to everybody, Right? So we call them junk fishes because you don't want to eat them because of all the little bones. I mean, you can't even get a mouth, one bite without bones. Well, they would pickle these, these carp so that those little bones would dissolve. And then it was awesome, apparently. I've never had it, but that's what I'm told. So what I'm saying is that to some in the Asian community, um, a carp is a good fish. Which then begs the question... Who determines whether a fish is a good fish or a bad fish, right? Is it, is it even possible to know? We might think as Christians, we, we can, we can um, abandon the measure that the Jews would have used. But when, if we set that one aside, what then becomes the measure? of a good fish or a bad fish. It is possible to know. In fact, Jesus tells us. You see, if you've ever, have you ever heard that how important it is to, to um, study the full counsel of God, to study the whole of the entirety of Scripture? Because the entirety of Scripture gives you a picture that if you only just study parts of the Scriptures, you're only going to get part of the picture. If you study the full counsel of God, you will find that there are answers to questions just like this. What is the measure that God uses for a good fish or a bad fish. Let me, let me point you to uh, a passage that may help. We just, we just studied this one not too long ago. Remember the story of the rich young ruler? Just a few weeks ago, maybe two, three weeks ago. It was part of the church study, right? The all church study. The story of the rich young ruler. Remember this story? This, this young guy walks up to Jesus, right? He walks up to Jesus and he says, Rabbi or teacher, what? good thing must I do to inherit eternal life. Remember that? And how did Jesus respond? Do you recall? He looks at this guy and he says, why do you ask me about that which is good? For there's only one that is good. Remember that? What was he saying to this guy? What was he trying to get this guy to understand? He was trying to say, dude, you are, you are so close to the truth, you literally stepped in and you didn't even know it. There is only one that is good. God. Me. Jesus, right? There's only one that is good. So, you take that story and you apply it to this story, the dragnet, and you have the answer. So what is the answer? Which fish are good and which fish are bad? There are no good fish. 
Did you hear that? There are no good fish except for one. And his name is Jesus. Doesn't matter whether you are a Jew or a non-Jew. Doesn't matter whether you're black or white, male or female, three or 30. We are all bad fish. And our only hope in the day of judgment is Jesus. What the determining factor as to whether or not we are good fish or bad fish is all dependent upon the conclusion that you come to with regard to the one good fish, who is Jesus. Jesus is our only hope in the day of judgment. Because if you believe that you can go into that day and it somehow is dependent on you as to the sorting, you're in trouble. Our only hope is Jesus. Now I'm going to say something at this particular point that may scare some of you and I don't care because you need to hear it. This sorting is going to happen in the church too. In June, Pastor Billy's going to preach on another parable. It's called the parable of the sheep and the goats. Did you know you were preaching on that one? You are. <laughs> in the, this is another sorting parable. He doesn't use the analogy of good fish and bad fish. He uses the analogy of sheep and goats. And in that parable... Um, someone walks up to the master and says, Lord, Lord. And what does the master say? Get away from me. I never knew you. There will be a sorting even within the church. You remember last week, if you were here with us last week, you may have remembered me screaming that this isn't a game. That faith in Christ is not a game. Eternity hangs in the balance. This is not a, a religious box to check off. The conclusion that you come to regarding Jesus determines everything. Who is Jesus to you? And you see, Jesus isn't going to be fooled just because you came to church one day. Just because you claim the Christian faith. He knows you. He knows your heart. We can fool ourselves. Sometimes we can fool each other. But you can't fool Jesus. Another thing I'll have you notice about this parable. Whose job is it to do the sorting? See, it ain't yours. It isn't mine either. It's the angels, according to this parable. That's not your job. The question then becomes, what is my job? Love Jesus. Invest in a relationship with Jesus. And what did we learn last, last week? Follow Jesus.
not complicated. But it's very, very important. If you've never made the conscious decision to say yes to Jesus, not just to say yes to Jesus, but to confess that you're a sinner, repent of those sins, and then follow Jesus. If you've never made that conscious decision, you need to. Right over there is our prayer room. And every week, we invite people to that decision and we invite people to the prayer room. Now, you don't need to go into the prayer room to pray that prayer of lordship. You don't need to. You don't need to pray it with me or with Billy or with anybody else. You can just do it between you and Jesus. You need no intermediary. You need only Jesus. But you need to do it. If you'd like to pray that prayer with me, I would be my privilege to, though. As I said, I'll be right over there. If there's something else going on in your life that you would like prayer for or to be prayed with, I'll be right over there.